Nice to know that my kind friends will be on my side and find a way to keep me grounded. I think that song will make sense as we go on this morning. Um, a few years back, we were having some consistent conversations with our son. Uh, we have four. I was talking to one of them, and we said, those are not good friends. And we would hear back from him, you don't know what you're talking about. These are good friends. And we felt we were right. Um, we had communicated it enough, but we were still surprised when uh, we got a call from the Middlebury Police Department asking to meet. And we said, we'd like you to bring your son, show up at this date. And we did. And as we arrived and we were about to head in, I, I looked at him and I just gave him one piece of advice. And we went in and uh, they started asking him questions. And I knew right away that there was a whole lot going on that ha I had no idea about. And they were asking details, people, places, things, all of this kind of stuff. And he was just telling them answer after answer. And I was starting to get the picture. He and a group of uh, two others, two of his friends, had walked off into the woods. They had come across the cabin in the woods and decided to go up onto the porch, which is trespassing. I wouldn't approve of that sort of thing, but it gets worse. Um, then one of them decides they're going to break out a joint and share it with everybody. And then somebody has the bright idea that maybe it would be more fun inside the cabin than outside the cabin. And they attempt to go through the front door. They fail, uh, but they damage the door. So I'm, I'm taking all of this in and thinking, man, we've got, we've got some issues that we're going to have to deal with here. Uh, we get to the end of the conversation, and the officer says this. Really appreciate that you've been truthful with us. Uh, a lot of people make mistakes with their lives. A lot of them won't, won't take the responsibility for it, but we feel like you have, and we're really appreciative that you've been willing to do that, which was, I was grateful to hear because that was the one thing I told him before we walked in. Whatever happens, you tell the truth about everything, which he hasn't had a problem with. I mean, we, having raised him, he would do all kinds of crazy things, and when we'd ask who did this, he'd be like, me. Um, you're not even going to try to hide it? Oh, no, I was in it. Yeah, I did it. Um, always been that way, and so we figured he would do that, but the question I had was, how in the world does the officer know that he's telling the truth? He could be making up the story for all we know, and it was at that point that the officer revealed the rest of his hand. Um, outside the cabin on a trail there was one of those motion sensor cameras that you put out for game, and when they'd walked onto the porch, it triggered and it filmed everything. The police weren't asking him questions to find out what happened. They knew what happened. They were asking him questions to find out if he was going to tell the truth or not. And uh, although I was very disappointed with the choices that he would make, when I left, I was at least glad that he told the truth. And I thought, maybe, maybe this is going to be okay. When I got the follow-up phone call, because he said he had to investigate more, um, my heart sank a little bit. Uh, because what he told me was, that in conversation with the other two guys, they had named our son as the primary for all of this. It was his idea to go on the walk. He purchased and supplied the marijuana. It was his idea to uh, break down the door. He was the guy behind it all. And 
I had this sinking feeling because what in the world were they going to do? There were two witnesses against one. And I thought, man, he's in some serious trouble. This is going to be bad. And the other thought I had was, I'm going to say, I told you so about those friends, right? Often and loud. I told you so. I was right. I have the evidence. Uh, but the officer then uh, continued the conversation. He said, but here's the thing. Uh, we don't believe those two other guys. When we asked them their version of the story, they didn't tell us the truth. And we know for a fact that we've had trouble with one of these guys um, with drugs. We've already had trouble with him. And so we know his history. I'm calling to tell you that your son needs to understand that these are not good friends. That there would, I mean, he didn't say this, but basically if there was no film, they could have easily said whatever they wanted to say and he would have been left holding the bag. Now, it, as it turns out, the owner of the cabin only wanted repairs done on, on the cabin. They didn't want to press any charges, which I, I was fine with that. He was gonna, I was going to pay, make him work it off. That sounded good to me. Um, he went to collect the money from the other three because that's what the police wanted. They wanted it split three ways. And the other two families said, no, since you were the one who got our sons in trouble by doing this, since you were the one who was the bad influence, we're not going to pay and uh, his friends basically left him to pay it all, which again, I was fine with because it meant he's going to work even longer and harder, and that made me happy. I was okay with all of that. He wasn't. And as it turns out, I didn't have to say, I told you so. He realized he had friends who were willing to throw him under the bus and discard him in a second. And it changed his evaluation of how we talked with him. And it changed his evaluation of friendships. I think it's been easier to make friends in the past than it is now. I, I would hate to call it a formula. I don't think of that as that because 2 plus 2 always equals 4. Um, but this is a process. There is a process that's been around for just thousands of years that has worked in allowing people to develop friendships um, it looks a little bit like this. There's three pieces to it. You take proximity. You're close to somebody. You're around them. It's why for a long period of time, your neighbors were your base friends. That's who you knew because you spent time in that neighborhood with them. You were around them a lot. You had parties with your families at all of these places. You went to the same schools. It was neighborhoods that you were associated with, and so you connected through friendships, through proximity. It happens when you go to school. You're around a bunch of people for a long period of time, and that proximity allows you to develop friendship. It happens when you go to college. You start to see the idea. Um, so this proximity would allow you to develop friendships, um, but that wasn't it. The proximity it starts with, but then it adds a bunch of repeated uninterrupted, not uninterrupted, what? What is it? Can we put that up so I don't have to think about this? <laughs> Next one. Unplanned. Same thing. Repeated unplanned interactions, right? Where you're just sitting around and you, you're talking about whatever. Whatever comes up 
and they learn something about you, and whatever comes up, and you learn something about them, and there's a whole bunch of those that take place, and they take place because there's proximity. Because you're close, you have that conversation in the front yard with your neighbor. You have that conversation at school at a meal. You do that sort of thing, and you have these things. Now, there's one more piece to this. It's also in the right setting. It's in a place where the proximity and those unplanned interactions can take place where you have open-ended conversations, where you're, where you're just kind of simply talking and there's no rush to move or go or do or be somewhere else. And so the right setting worked itself into the situation and you could, with this little process, find yourself with friends. And it's, and it's work for a lot of people for a long period of time. Uh, for some people, they've had trouble with this. So introverts have a little bit more difficulty with this. But you're not trying to get all kinds of friends. You're just trying to get a few friends. You're just trying to get a few friends. And so this process has even worked for introverts. Now, I would tell you, 20 years ago, I didn't hear very many people complaining that they were having difficulty finding friendship. Today, I hear it a lot. And the variety of people who are saying it is broad. I mean, it's shocking um, how wide this problem is. Which is weird, right? Because we now live in a world where you can be connected electronically to almost anyone you want. Anytime you want. And yet, what I would describe, they've never used this word, but this is what I would say they're saying to me. It's become a maze. It's become difficult to sort my way through. It feels a lot like what it looked like when you guys got seats this morning. You were disoriented. It's not, things aren't where they're supposed to be. I expected this to be easier. Now I'm annoyed by this. Why does this have to be so hard? Right? You had all of those thoughts as you found seats this morning, right? Understand. There's whole groups of people who feel that way about friendship right now. They're trying, and they're not getting it done. And it's weird because of all of those digital places where they could connect, that seems like it should be going better for them. But think about the process. Think about the process. Do all of those digital things cause proximity to work in your favor? They do not. In fact, that's why they work, is because you don't have to be in proximity to somebody. They can be spread far and wide, and you can at least still be connected with them, which is why it's nice, but it's not great for friendship. Does it allow for unplanned interactions? Maybe a little, a little texting, but have you ever called somebody? Have you ever called somebody, and they said to you, why are you calling? Can't you text me? Right? And they're upset. You actually have a conversation with them. It happens a lot. Why? Because I just want short bursts of a little bit of information, and that's all I want to know. That's really all I want to Just keep it quick, keep it coming, keep it over. And I'm done with it. Is it the right setting? No. It's not a setting where you're going to sit down and chill with each other. It's, it's everything is backwards about it. And so this is not surprising. If you look at polling on this subject right now in our country, 
This is consistent. Among adults in the United States, 43 to 47% say they feel lonely. I feel isolated. I feel like I don't know people well enough, and they do not know me. And I'm out there on my own. Here's the problem. If loneliness is really happening at that rate, now just think about that. If this is, if this is correct, this half of our church feels this way. It's that widespread in our culture. When you feel lonely, you can make some terrible decisions when it comes to friendships. Some that I'm watching is that some people are just concluding that being alone is all they've got left, and they're just going to live with it. I'm going to be alone. That's the way it is. I'm just going to have to deal with it. And so they're trying to suck it up and just walk through life feeling isolated from everybody around them. Other people turn it inward, like, and they attack themselves. The reason I'm lonely must be because there's something broken about me. I've got a problem. And so they start looking at all the stuff that's wrong in them, and they look at it really negatively, and it tears them down, it tears them down, and it makes them almost unfriendable, right? You would try to talk with that person, but they think they're so broken, there's nothing for them to offer you. It's because they started by feeling lonely. But another, another thing that I watch a lot is that from a place of loneliness, people make the same decision that I saw my son make. They accept whatever friendship comes into their life without deciding, is this the right type of friend I should have? I'll just take anything. I'll accept anything. I'll follow anything. Because at least I have somebody is the thought. Now, here's what's interesting. The scriptures actually talk about friendship. They have quite a bit to say about it. But one of the things that it's concerned about is it gives us wisdom on this issue is the type of friend that you have. There's an assumption that you would have friends, and so there's some insight as to what kind of things you should be thinking about as you develop friendships. Let me show you what they are. Let me show you some of these things that come out in the scriptures. Um, this is in 1 Corinthians 15:33. Paul is about to quote somebody. He says, Don't be misled. Quote, bad company corrupts good character. He's quoting a Greek poet who at least could look around and say, if you hang out with people with bad character, it's going to turn out badly for you. He, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he had it right. And so Paul said, look, this is true. Bad company will corrupt your good character. You've got to be wise about this. So the type of friend matters. There's more in Proverbs 22. Verse 24 says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who's easily angered. Why? What does it matter? It sounds like they have the problem. Verse 25, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You could get caught up in what they're involved with, and you can learn what they're doing. Because you've associated with this person whose character isn't great. There's even positive kind of stuff that says, hey, what kind of friend, what type of friend should you be looking for? Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. 
This is the type of person who just seems to care about you no matter what. When you're a knucklehead, when you've done something embarrassing or foolish, you made a mistake, they still seem to care about you. They just keep showing up. That's a friend who loves at all times. In Proverbs 27, 6, says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. And you'd be well, how does somebody love you and then leave wounds? That doesn't sound right. The wounds come from somebody being truthful to you. Their intent is not to harm you. It's just that their words sting because they're saying what's true to you. And he said, listen, from a friend, from somebody who speaks those kind of words because they love you, it's not a wound that will destroy you. This is a good thing that you should embrace. And so he says, all of these things um, throughout the scriptures point to you evaluating what type of friend you should have. And there's other, there's other sections of scripture that you could go and find. What you don't find. I've looked. I can't find it anywhere. I can't find where we're told how to make friends. Like, give me some insight in how I'm going to make friends. How am I supposed to do this? You see, in the culture that Jesus um, taught in, in the culture that these people grew up in, it, it was built into their whole system. Proximity? You actually were in a, a household of maybe 100 people. It was multi-generational. You all stayed in the same place. So you were around family members and other people that your age, and you were living next to another household that had 100-some people. And your community was a bunch of households that were all together. And you would go to the same synagogue and you would have all of these interactions together. You had proximity on your side. Did they have unplanned interactions? They weren't going anywhere. They weren't racing off to figure their schedule. When the sun came up, they started to work. When the sun came down, they stopped. And so you would have these meals. You would eat with your family. You'd have some evening time before you would go to sleep. You would walk places and have conversations with each other. The setting worked for them. And so you, you don't find anywhere, you don't find anywhere in the scriptures where we're given advice as to how we go about finding friends because they understood that it was just part of the way we were. Here's the problem. That process that I just described to you, growing up in a family, in a community, in a synagogue, with all of that, that is a slow-bake process. Everybody knew it. Everybody accepted it. You didn't, you didn't get friends quickly. You got friends over a period of time as you collected them, as you lived with them, as you shared with them, as you figured stuff out, as you then moved to a different household. You would gather friends, and it would be a process that happened. The unfortunate thing is we live in a world that's about microwave speed right now. We, we want to see things happen quickly. And when they don't happen quickly, we start to get frustrated. But I, I just want to tell you, I, I don't think the process has changed. It's just changed um, basically how our culture goes about it. The process is slow bake, but now we, we even see neighbors differently. I've read a bunch of stuff on this. Most people now, when you talk to them about their neighbors, it's not the people that they live to. 
They believe their neighbors are the people that they're connected to on their devices. It's their group of friends who are spread all over the place. They might wave at their neighbors. Some of you still know your neighbors. You're a rare commodity these days. Most people don't know the names of their neighbors. They don't spend much time with their neighbors. It's just not what happens. And so what we used to have has now kind of gone away, and we've counted on a dispersed kind of situation for us to gather in friends just becomes really difficult. Planned, unplanned interactions with people, we have to plan everything. Do you know how much we have to get done today? If it's not on the calendar and I'm not going from here to here to here to here, I'm not going to survive. And so we're going like crazy pace. And it eats away at our ability to find connections with each other, and the setting. The settings aren't there anymore, where we're, we're having natural kind of, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I already know this. How many of you have a meal with your families anymore, where you sit down and you have a time where you need to discuss and talk and just chill and spend some time with each other? Even those small things have kind of bled away from us. And so we wind up in a very difficult situation because here's the problem. We have 47% of the people in our country who are adults identifying loneliness as a problem. And the solution to that loneliness is a slow-bake situation. But what are they supposed to do in the meantime? What are they supposed to do for two or three years while they're dealing with their sense of loneliness if that's how long it takes to develop some friendships, they're just supposed to suck it in and deal with it? Unfortunately, I think a lot of people have chosen that, and that's why they'll look at you and say, I'm fine. I think God has a different idea. I'd like to share this with you. I, um, it makes a ton of sense to me. I hope it will to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 15. And he says something really cool. In verse 14, he says, you are my friends. He says, if you do what I command. And some of you might think, well, if people did everything I commanded, they could be my friends too. But you got to read the rest, right? you got to read the rest. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. A servant is told to do something and they do it. They don't ask why. They don't ask when. They just do what they're told. And Jesus is saying, that's not the relationship I have with you. You are my servant if you choose to be that. But there's something else here. There's a friendship. And he says this in the second part of this verse. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You know the purposes that I have. You know, you know the ideas that I care about. You know my values. I'm sharing all that with you. I'm not just giving you blind lists of things to do. I'm, I'm trying to pull you into this as a relational creature with me. And I, the creator of the universe, want to be friends with you. Why is this a big deal? Because if you have this sense that you're lonely... And it comes with a possibility of making a bunch of bad decisions with it. Then maybe it's time you grabbed on to the most important friend that you'll ever have in your life. 
See, Jesus makes himself available for you in that way. He's not just your king. He also wants to be your friend, available to hear what's on your heart, close to you all the time, willing to have uninterrupted or inter- unplanned interactions with you, right? His spirit will prod you, interrupt your day. You'll hear a song, and he'll want to have something to say about that. Why? Because there is a friendship that exists. And if there is a friendship like that in your life, then you can hold on to that friendship as you go about the slow-cooked process of finding friends, of putting yourself out there, of doing that hard work. Because you have one. You have one that will be faithful. You have one that will be showing up. How? How? Was he able to refer to his disciples as friends? Because he had proximity. He had unplanned interactions. He had the right setting for those guys. And they spent their lives doing that together. And I want to suggest to you that if you want to experience a friendship with God, the same is going to be true for you. If you don't put yourself in a place to interact with him by reading the scriptures, by praying, by being available to talk, if you don't sit quietly and create some space in your life for God to nudge you, to direct you, to give you some insight, you'll miss out on a friendship that he offers. But if you do that, if you make space in your life for that kind of friendship, then you end up with the most important friendship that you'll ever have that gives you a base as you reach out and establish friendships with other people. I'm convinced it's the most important one. And if you're thinking, well, that's all I need then. If I can just have a friendship with God, then I'm done. That's not the way it works, and I want you to see this. This is important. In verse 16, right after he says this, that I'm your friends, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Isn't that awesome? You didn't choose me to be your friend. I chose you. I wanted to be your friend. I love you. I care about you. But I also did it because I wanted to grow something in you. Why? What is it? What's this fruit that he wants to see? Verse 17, this is my command. Love each other. The goal of being connected with God in this unique way as friends is that so you can be somebody who has the courage to start loving the people around you. You were not made to be alone. You were not made to be lonely. You were not made to have one friend with God. But we have to be honest about the process that it takes. And for some of us, what we've, what we've done is we've gotten ourselves into a pickle. Because some of those places that we easily could have gotten friends, we made mistakes. We didn't, we didn't come away with a batch of friends. And now we're in the adult part of our lives, and it's harder, it's harder to make friends because of the pace of life, because of the way our culture is, and you're not sure what you're going to do. Now, even though the scriptures don't give us like specific things, I want to give you just five things that I think that you could do that would help you in the process if you were starting to, if you're going to start over, you have Jesus as your friend, and you're starting over, here's what you could do. Except that it is a process with layers. Making friends is a process that has layers, which means 
Sometimes when I hear people say, I don't have friends, what they mean is I don't have a friend that it's the level that I want. I want somebody that I can share everything with now. I don't have that. But I have other types of friends. Start there. There's different layers. And add to it some proximity. Add to it some unplanned interactions. Add to it the right setting where you're sitting around a table and you're talking and you're engaging with each other. Like, slow it down. Slow down the time. You can do all kinds of things to make that work. But make that happen. Uh, the second thing that you could do is I think it would be wise, if you're struggling with friendship, to go put yourself in the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say about being a friend. Not only will you understand what it means to be a good friend, but you'll give the, your opportunity to God, who wants to be your friend, an opportunity to give you wisdom about the choices that you're making. That seems like that makes sense. I've got this friend who's incredible. I probably should pay attention to the way he views things. So put yourself in that place. And then whether you like it or not, the process is the next three. You're going to have to get out there. It's going to require some proximity. You're going to have to go find people to hang out with, and sometimes we overlook the closest. We discount those people that we work with. We discount our neighbors. We discount the people that we attend church with. And we miss the opportunity to start hanging out with people who are nearby. Unplanned interactions. What am I supposed to do? Well, I don't know. Uh, find ways to delay stuff, right? Um, this is a technique, I don't know if my wife does this on purpose, but it, it works, right? We'll go to a restaurant and we'll order our meal. We'll get done and everybody's ready to go. And then she orders a dessert, right? There's a chance she's not even going to eat it. She's just going to take it home. But she's just now delayed things by 10 minutes. And we've learned to just chill with that and relax. It's even better, once they bring the dessert... Then ask them to box it. Don't tell them before that. Wait for them to bring it and then say, can you go put this in a box? It'll stall you another five minutes. People won't leave the table. They'll sit there going, what in the world is going on? But you can talk. Like find ways to delay and have some conversations. You, you got to find the right um, setting as well. And this is more of a challenge right now because everybody's so busy. But maybe um, pick up a hobby and go spend it with some people. They're going to a sporting event. Go and sit with them. They're not watching that thing the whole time. It's way too slow for that. So you can talk with them during that sporting event and catch up on all kinds of things. Start choosing settings, small groups. You know one of the biggest things that they'll tell you? This, these are secular writers who are giving advice to the 47% of people who are lonely. They're looking at them and saying, go volunteer somewhere. If you want to find good friends, go find people who are willing to give away their time for the good of somebody else. Go hang out with those people. And then go out to eat with them. Like plan some stuff. In the planning that you do, leave some unplanned time. I'm going to go for a walk, but we're going to leave time for the conversation to unfold however it does. We're going to go for a meal, but I'm not going to direct where the conversation goes. Leave some space for unplanned conversations in the right setting. Like it or not, if you're in a place right now where you feel alone, your only solution to that is to get out there and go. You're going to have to put yourself out there. 
And I know it's a risk. For introverts, that feels terrible, but find the right setting that works for you and start going to something on a regular basis where you can start seeing people and have unplanned interactions with them. And you'll be amazed at how that process unfolds. But you're going to have to accept that it's a process. God did not make God did not make you to be alone. He did not create you so that you would only need one relationship with him. And I understand that it's harder these days. But there are there are things here that you could do. There are groups that we have, places to volunteer, things that you can get in connected with. There's all kinds of opportunities, but you're going to have to put yourself out there. You were created by God to love other people. Are you willing to take the risk to do so? Can I pray with you? God, this is a hard subject uh, because when somebody feels like they're alone, uh, it creates such a, a burden in their heart. They wonder if they're broken. They wonder if it can ever be overcome. And oddly enough, there are so many people who feel that way. So I just ask that you would give them the courage to do a couple really big things. One is to pursue you. You offer friendship. You offer love that's available 24-7. You're close. You want to interact with us. You want to love us. So I ask that you would give us the courage to create the settings where we can start hearing from you and listening to you. God, some people need to look at you as friend, and I ask that you would allow them to do that. And God, the other thing, we need to get out there, accept that it's a process, and work the process. I ask that you would give us the courage to love each other and to hold on to you while we're attempting it. God, for those in the midst of feeling a sense of deep loneliness right now, I ask that you would just reveal to their heart that you love them, that you have loved them, that you chose them, and give them the courage to find peace in that relationship that will allow them to start taking risks. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.